Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. This morning, if you'd like to join me in the Word of God, we are going to be looking at some verses out of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, this week, we're continuing our, our sermon series that, that we've called Hope Was Born This Night. And as we move through the next few weeks through to Christmas Eve, um, we're looking at a couple of the people in the Christmas story and looking at the story that they took to get to the first Christmas. What, what did it look like to get to the first Christmas? And what we're discovering is that through their stories, we can learn a lot about and, and take away a lot of things for our lives. Now, there are so many characters in the Christmas story, so, so many unique viewpoints and so many unique people that we can take a look at. There, there are some really fascinating people, the shepherds, this, this motley crew of, of folks out on the hillside that, that are essentially removed from society. And, and these are the people that God chooses to be the first ones to be told about the birth of Jesus. There's, there's the wise men, the magi, these, these men who came from the east who, who we don't know anything about other than that they followed a star and, and they ended up getting an audience with, with Herod. and That's a big deal, but, but they just sort of come and then drop off these gifts and they go. There's the innkeeper. Now, there is no mention of an innkeeper in the Bible. Um, we're just told that Mary and Joseph were told that there was no room for them at the inn, but somebody had to tell them that. And so, so we, we, we talk about the innkeeper, and, and I often wonder about the innkeeper. Like, did he ever find out who he said no to? You know, he, he gave them the room in the manger, and, and all of a sudden, this, this family that he was like, we got no space for you. Um, and then all of a sudden, these people are showing up, and there's stars, and there's all kinds of, of stuff going. Did he ever, you know, file away in the back of his mind? Mary, Joseph, Jesus. Let me, let me hold on to that. Something funny is going on here. There's Herod. The ruler sitting on the throne of Israel, insanely jealous that a baby was going to steal his glory. And, and all that happens through there, there are so many others. Anna the prophetess, Simeon, who took the baby Jesus in his arms and, and blessed his parents. And then, of course, there, there's Mary. And Pastor Lori did a wonderful job of sharing with us about Mary last week. And, and this, the book of Luke, especially Luke chapter 1, it's really focused on the story of Mary. And, and Mary is, is someone that I, I would love to, to just be able to sit down and talk with Mary. And just, so what happened? Like, like, like we, get, we get this overview of the story, but like, what was it like to live this out? How, how, how did your parents react? How did your friends react? How did all of this go? But there's someone else that I'd like to bring our attention to this week. And I, I would say that in many ways, he's the forgotten man of Christmas. 
But Matthew dedicates some of his story to him. His name is Joseph. And, and he's the husband of Mary and the, the man chosen to be the father of Jesus. And he's the person from the first Christmas story that I think I'd like to talk to the most. Because his journey through this story is a profoundly, obviously unique, but just a, there are so many layers and levels that I would just love to be able to, to unpack and hear about how this all worked for him. But when I call Joseph the forgotten man of Christmas, it's not an exaggeration. Um, there's not much written about him in the Bible. Um, not many sermons are preached about him. As, as a matter of fact, there's not much written about Joseph at all. Um, I, I did a quick search of the most popular Christmas carols to, to see how many times Joseph's name is mentioned. Uh, Mary comes up much more frequently. Um, but Joseph is never really mentioned, except for sort of one time. Now, I did this in reverse in the first service, but I want to see in the second service. Can anybody tell me which, of the, which Christmas carol mentions Joseph by name? I'll give you the verse. I'll tell you what it says. It says, see within a manger laid. I'm not going to sing this, so don't, that's not a thing. See within a manger laid. Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, Mary and Joseph, lend your aid. Sing with us, Messiah is born. It's, it's hark the herald angels sing. But it barely counts because we don't sing that verse. You know, we, 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 nobody knows that verse because we don't, we don't sing. So is Joseph mentioned? Well, kind of if you read close enough, but really Joseph doesn't get a whole lot of, of discussion. In fact, if I was to, to throw this out to you and, and you can feel free to, what do we know about Joseph? What do you know about Joseph? He was a carpenter? A descendant of David? And, yeah, an outstanding man. Yeah. But so we know he's a carpenter. We know he's a descendant of David. But even that descendant to David thing, like, it's, you know, have you ever known a friend who, who took, like, an ancestry DNA test and discovered that they had, like, a famous relative and then made sure to tell everybody, you know, I'm related to, to King Henry VIII or something. You know, that you have some person far off in your in your back in your, in your relatives where you're like, it turns out we're, we're married or we're, we're related to that, you know, our last name Bristow comes from Bristol and Blackbeard the pirate was in. So it's like, maybe we're, maybe we're, we're related. But like when we, even when we talk about Joseph being in the line of David, it's not like he was next in line for the throne. He was, he was of the line of David, but, but it wasn't like he was, he was the king. He just came from that line. There, there are a few things that we do know about Joseph. We know that his father's name was Jacob. We know that from the genealogy in Matthew. We, we know that his hometown was Bethlehem in Judea, but he lived in Nazareth in Galilee, that, and that meant that Joseph and Mary had to travel about 140 kilometers in winter to register for the census. King David from the Old Testament, as we talked about, was one of his relatives. He was a carpenter by trade. We know that he was poor, that him and Mary didn't have a lot of money. 
We know that from the story in Luke 2 when they go to the temple to present Jesus. Um, and, and it says that they presented with him a turtle dove as an offering. And, and so what we know about that is that Jews would only do that when they absolutely, positively, in no way could afford a lamb. And so this was the concession that was made. If you cannot afford it, then this is, the, uh, this is the other option available to you. And so by them choosing that option, we know that they didn't have a lot of money. We, we know that he was a religious man, that, that he worked very hard to keep the law, that his life was dedicated to that. And we're going to talk about that for sure, or later on this morning. And while we don't know for sure how old Joseph was, most writers would agree that, that he, for our, for our cultural context, was, was probably a pretty young man, potentially a teenager. Um, if we said somewhere between probably 17 and 20 years old, um, we probably would be right. That, that somewhere in that range, a little older of a teenager, maybe into his early, as early as possible 20s. But, but by the time you were that age, by the time you were 20, you better be married. You, <laughs> that that you, you are now well past the age where you were supposed to be married back then. But so we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And what we're going to do this week and next week is we're going to walk with Joseph through the story of the first Christmas. And so this morning we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 1 and we're going to start at verse 18. And verse 18 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she, found, or she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So a couple things that I just want to help you understand a little bit as, as we move through this. Uh, what our version calls pledge to be married, or, or maybe older versions that you might have might use the word betrothed, it, ref, it refers to an ancient Jew, the way that ancient Jewish folks got, got married, how a, how a marriage worked. And that word is actually really important because it tells us where they were at in the process. Um, in those days, um, the word engaged, when we talk about getting engaged, um, it means a certain thing. We, we have a picture in our mind. Um, Yvonne and I got engaged in Ikea. Um, I'll tell you that story sometime. I, I don't know if we've got time for it now. But we got engaged in Ikea. Um, Yvonne knows the bin in the aisle. I can never remember it. But she knows that. But we got engaged in Ikea. But we have this idea of what engagement means. It means that you got down on, somebody got down on one knee and, and you met, well you met and you fell in love and you had this great relationship and you decided, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. And so you, you went out and you bought a ring and, and you're all nervous and fumbly and you, you went and you eventually, you, will you marry me? And they said yes. And, and now we're engaged. That's not how engagement worked um, in Bible times. Um, the parents decided it was time for you to get married. And so they found you someone and you got engaged with them. That engagement was, was not between two people, it was between the parents of those two people, with or without the involvement of the kids. That it wasn't a moment where the kids came home and said, look, we got engaged today. It was a moment where the parents came home and said, guess what we did today? You got engaged, congratulations! Now you'll get to meet them. That, that, it, that their pre-existing relationship does, didn't mean anything. 
And so there were three steps to a Jewish marriage. First, there was the engagement, this contract arranged by family members that often it was much more almost of like a business decision that it would be good for our two families to to have this connection. Next came the betrothal, a, a sort of a public ratification of the engagement. And during this period, the couple is considered to be husband and wife, but the marriage isn't official yet. So what essentially this is, is is your parents commit you to getting married, and then you have this betrothal period where, where for all intents and purposes, your husband and wife, you're just not living like that yet. But essentially, it's like a grace period where that they give you to figure this all out before you actually formally get married. That it's about a one-year period where, where you're just sort of invited to, to learn what it means to be faithful, to learn what it means to love someone, to learn what it means to be a husband or a wife, that you've got this opportunity this year. But there wasn't an out clause in this. The only way a betrothal could be terminated was through death or divorce. And in fact, if if the man died during this year, the woman would be considered a widow, even though the ceremony had never taken place. And if you were considered a widow, there there were all kinds of complications that went into that in ancient Jewish times. And and so, but even if you weren't actually officially formally married, if you were betrothed, you were married. And there was no way out of it. And then, of course, the last stage was the marriage proper. Ceremony, all that sort of stuff. We now, I mean, they didn't say we now pronounce you husband and wife, um, but that, that kind of moment. And Mary and Joseph were in that second stage. They had been engaged, and now they were betrothed to one another. So during this time, they were already seen as husband and wife, but their lives weren't put together as one yet. That, that uh, they were understood as, as being husband and wife, but they didn't live together. That they didn't have that sort of marriage relationship. They didn't do the things that married people were free to do. Which is why when Mary said she was pregnant, it was a problem. And it's important to understand this because, understand because in the verse we just read, we're told that Mary and Joseph are in this waiting period. And Mary has been found to be pregnant. And if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 22, it actually talks about this specific situation. That if you're betrothed and you're found to be pregnant and the dad says it's not his, She was to be stoned to death. That's pretty hard. (laughs) But that was was how serious this was. That that if if this was what took place and and the the, the father or the, the husband said, it's not my child, that meant she had been unfaithful. Now, as we're gonna see, there, 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 societally, there was other options presented to them, that, that Mary wasn't going to be stoned to death, and, and that, that, that this changed. But if we take a moment and we put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, you're a teenager in love, and suddenly your girlfriend turns up pregnant. You know you aren't the father, but you don't know who is. And it's important that we pause here for a second. 
Because there's one other thing that I think we need to just see to help us understand the chronology of everything that's happening. See, last week, Pastor Lori did a great job of, of walking us through Mary finding out that she was pregnant. And, and that the angel appeared to her and said, don't worry, Mary, you are going to have a baby, but it's God's baby, and, and it's going to be okay, and with God, nothing is impossible. But here last week, or if you know the... the the Christmas story, once Mary finds out this news, what's the first thing that she does? She goes to her cousin's house. Is Mary, in an effort to try and understand what's happening, and understand, well, am I really pregnant, or did I just have some bad couscous, or, you know, was it a weird dream based on something I ate? And, and one of the things that the angels tells her is, and your, your cousin Elizabeth, she's also pregnant. And so Mary, in an effort to potentially understand, am I really pregnant? Like, was that a real dream? Well, well let me go talk to my cousin and find out if, if she's pregnant. And, and we read this where, after Mary finds out. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a, a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's house, her cousin Mary's husband or sorry, her cousin Elizabeth's husband, entered her, her home and greeted Elizabeth. It says that Mary hurried to go find her cousin. Do you know what's not included in that narrative? Stopping to talk to Joseph? You know, she, if, if we understand that Mary potentially was unsure of whether or not she was pregnant... And she, because she, she's just told you're pregnant, and I need to go find. And so they said my cousin was. Let me go find out if my cousin was pregnant, because if my cousin is pregnant, then that means that that dream was true. And then it turns out I am pregnant. But not many women know they're pregnant the day they would have gotten pregnant. That's not a thing. So she's got to try and confirm this, and so she rushes off to go find out because it's hard to have that conversation with with your with your fiance. Well, this angel appeared and. I might be pregnant, but I don't know. And so, I, so she, maybe she stopped off to talk to Joseph. Maybe said, I'm going to go visit my cousin. Maybe, maybe said, but we don't know. But it's entirely possible and perhaps probable that Joseph is unaware that Mary's pregnant when she leaves to go see her cousin. And then when Mary returns three months later, she's three months pregnant. What did Joseph say to her? What did she say to him? Did she tell him about the angel Gabriel? And if she did, could you blame him for not believing her? That, that of all the excuses you can come up with, of all the ways, the, all the backstories that you could possibly tell, don't worry, it's God's. Seems like a bridge pretty far for him to cross. Oh, well that changed. Okay then, I feel like if, if, if somebody came and said that to you about anything, never mind a pregnancy, it would be pretty hard to, to, you know, oh, where did you get that money from? Oh, God gave it to me. 
that, that it's, hard, it's a hard bridge to cross. What did he say to her? Mary, how could you? You were pledged to be with me. We were going to get married. I was going to build my life with you. I was going to build a house for us in Nazareth. Mary, how could you do this? I kept myself for you. Why couldn't you keep yourself for me? I think Joseph cried harder that day than he probably ever cried in his life. The moment that he finds out his wife is pregnant and it's not his baby, his heart's got to shatter into a thousand pieces. Verse 19 shows us Joseph's response to this news. Whenever he found out, we read in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, that that means he wanted to do what was right in the eyes of God. That that means he he looked to the laws of the Lord in, in, in how to guide his life. And it says, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. That means that although he thought and believed that that Mary had been unfaithful, he still didn't want to humiliate her. And so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, in those days, a man could respond to his betrothed wife's unfaithfulness in two ways. First, he could get a public divorce by, by going before a judge at the city gate but that would mean that the whole town would know about what happened with Mary. Second, he could get a private divorce by giving her the papers in the presence of just two witnesses. But there was nothing in the law that said, or you could just stay with her. That in the law, you were really given two choices. Divorce her publicly or divorce her quietly. So Joseph was put in a very difficult spot. He was an observant Jew and under the law, he had the right and in fact the obligation to divorce Mary for her unfaithfulness. And here is the greatness of Joseph. He loved her even though he thought she had been unfaithful to him. And his love covered her shame. That that he could have embarrassed her. He could have let everyone in town know this is what happened. But he said, no, I'm going to just keep it quiet. We'll go our separate ways. Hopefully she can find happiness. Hopefully I can find happiness. And we can find a better life than this. It's entirely to Joseph's credit that he chose to do it privately and spare Mary the humiliation of a public divorce. Because there'd never been a virgin birth before. This this has never happened in the history of the world. This has never happened. So it was natural for Joseph to doubt Mary's explanation. Yet Joseph's faith guided him to be kind even when his emotions whirled within him. He chose to quietly divorce her to protect her from public shame. 
See, from a human viewpoint, Joseph had every right to be angry. His fiance unexpectedly left town for three months and returned home pregnant. Her story about an angel's visit and still being a virgin but pregnant must have inspired so many emotions inside of him. None of them positive. How stupid do you think I am? You really think I'm going to buy that? She's done so many emotions. How could he have been so deceived about Mary's character? Why would she make up such a ridiculous story about an angel to come and, and get God's son and all that, to cover up her unfaithfulness? But I want to look at one more verse for us today. The next verse, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So after he's found out Mary is pregnant, after he's, he's begun to work through all of his feelings and emotions, and after he's, he's responded in his mind a thousand times, and he's finally come to the place where he said, you know, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. It'll be, and we'll just move on. After that, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Why was Joseph afraid? The obvious answer is that he feared that Mary was involved or had been involved with another man. That, that she wasn't the person he believed her to be. She, she wasn't the person she had said she was. She wasn't the person she had promised to be. And since he hadn't heard from God at this time, how could he believe Mary? How could he ever trust her? I, I imagine other fears taunted Joseph. Mary was three months pregnant at this time. If, if he wasn't to divorce her, then everyone would believe that it was, it was his child. And that means that, that he didn't do the things he was supposed to do. That he would take the public blame for someone else's mistake. That everyone would look at him and say, Joseph, you screwed up. And he knows he didn't do anything. It's not his mistake. But everyone would think it was his mistake. What would this do to his standing in the Jewish community? We read that he had dedicated himself to following the law. He had spent his life obeying the laws that were laid out for his people. And now, if he was to choose to not divorce Mary, everyone would not think of him that way anymore. Would his carpentry business suffer? The society was not fond of unmarried parents. And, and people, friends, family. We, we see it when Joseph and Mary go back to Bethlehem. That's where Joseph's family was from. And nobody had a bed for him to sleep in. 
Nobody had a bed for his pregnant wife to sleep in. They end up in a manger not just because there was no room for them in the inn. They end up in the manger because no family will accept them. How are people going to respond? Is he going to be thrown out of the synagogue? Shunned by his family and friends? Joseph, don't be afraid. The angel comes and appears to him, and the first thing the angel does is speak to this fear. He tells Joseph, Joseph, there was no other man. Mary has told the truth. She was carrying the Son of God. And when Joseph hears that that this was God's plan for him, all the other concerns melted. And we're going to talk about Joseph's response next week. We're going to talk about what, what Joseph, how Joseph responds to this news from the angel next week and how he chooses to follow God. He put aside his fears and follows God in faith. Joseph couldn't, wouldn't, shouldn't, can't deny that there's going to be challenges involved in all of this. Just because he now knows the truth doesn't mean anyone else is going to believe it for a second. He may know it, but his mom won't know it. He may know it. All of his friends aren't going to believe a word of it. He may know that there's no reason for them to be disgraced, but they are about to be disgraced. He may know all of these things, but he accepts God's plan with courageous faith. See, when we know and trust God, we too can find the courage to face our fears and follow him. As we've looked at the story so far, we've been reminded of one thing. Hope is always there. For Joseph, in a moment, everything came crashing down. Probably the worst news that he could get in that moment in his life was the unfaithfulness of his wife. What else could be worse? His worst fears were realized and everything in his life that he had thought the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, they didn't live that long back then, that, that especially poor folks didn't have a super long lifespan, but however long the rest of his life was supposed to be, it's now not what it was supposed to be. In a moment, everything about his life and his future was completely thrown into chaos. And for us, we can read this story and we know what's happening. So as we read about Joseph, like, thinking about divorcing her, we think, no, Joseph, it's true. It's, it's the son of, don't do that. And we can flip over to Luke 1 and say, like, Joseph, read Luke. He's telling the other side of the story. It's true. Or, or, or we can know what's going on and, and we say, no, Joseph. It's going to be okay. And, and that's the word that I think God has for us today. That's, that's the word that God has for you today. I want to leave you today with that same promise. It's going to be okay.
In Joseph's most difficult moments, he was reminded that God was there with him. That God had hope for him. God says to Joseph, I know it seems terrible right now, but trust me, Joseph. I'm going to take care of you. Trust me. I am at work here. Even as it feels like your whole world is crashing down around you, I am at work. The last words of the book of Matthew are so applicable to this situation at the beginning of Matthew. See, at the end of Matthew, Jesus tells his followers, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I'll be with you till the end of time. And the, Joseph, or the angel is speaking to Joseph, and he, he's saying to him, he's, God hasn't forsaken you. God hasn't lost you. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't abandoned you. Even in this moment where everything feels like it's a lost cause, know that God is here for you. You have hope. I have hope for you. It's going to be okay, Joseph. It's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that in your word, we have these incredible accounts of, of these real people in real situations dealing with real life things. God, I thank you that in your word we don't find just these unapproachable, unrelatable superheroes that, that never have to deal with anything difficult, that never have to deal with anything hard, and, and if it even approaches, that they do everything perfect. God, I thank you that in these moments we can read about Joseph's struggle and his fears and his worries and the challenges that he would face as this news comes into his life. God, I thank you that we can read about the reality of these situations. Because, God, it's the reality of those situations that helps us understand our own reality. God, is there, there are some here that as, as we're walking through Christmas or maybe unconnected to Christmas, maybe their world, their life is in chaos. Maybe things are crashing down around them. Maybe what they thought was going to be the story of their future, it doesn't look like it's that anymore. God, maybe there are those who are afraid God, maybe those who are uncertain, maybe those who don't know what tomorrow might bring. God, and maybe there are those who are just uncertain. They, they just don't know. And God, I thank you that we have this story where we can be reminded where you came to Joseph and said it's going to be okay. And God, I pray that you would Speak that to our hearts 
and our lives in this moment. God, be speaking to us right now. For those who are afraid, for those who are in chaos, for those who are uncertain, may, may your Holy Spirit just speak to our hearts and our lives right now. Say, it's going to be okay. Going to be okay. And God, I pray that we would be able to place our hope and our trust not in our own ability to walk through a situation, not, not in our own. God, if, if Joseph placed his hope and his trust in you, he would have divorced, or his hope and his trust in himself, he would have divorced Mary. But God, I thank you that he placed his hope and his trust in you. And God, that he was able to walk through this very real situation with very real God, I thank you that in the moment where your son was born, when Jesus came into the world, hope was realized. The hope that Mary had, the hope that Joseph had, the hope was realized. And God, I pray for each one of us, each one watching at home, God, that you would birth hope in our lives. Hope for our families, hope for our future, hope for our marriages, hope for our relationships, hope for our employment. God, wherever it is that we need hope today, God, may this story provide the opening for the Holy Spirit to come and birth hope afresh and anew in our lives. God, thank you that no matter where we are in the story of our lives, God, we have hope. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. You could have stepped into creation with fire. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.
the cradle From cradle to the cross Let heaven and nature sing This is our King But the grave couldn't hold Him Our God is overcome Let heaven and nature sing This is our King 